Well, welcome this morning to Community Church. If you're joining us online, bless you. Thank you for being with us. If you're here in the room, welcome. If you're here for the first time, uh, I don't know how to explain what you're going to experience. Hopefully you're familiar with it, but God's presence is the utmost thing. It's what we're looking for. The nature and the key message of Christianity is that all have sinned. No one on the face of the earth has not sinned. But then the Bible says that all have fallen short of His glory. That there's none of us that can apprehend or live up to the standard that He requires. And so in this song, the words say this. This is what we need. We need your glory. Because that's the only possible way we can be changed. The only way... We are changed, not by might, not by power, not by trying really hard, not by being in the right place and doing and saying the right things, but His presence alone changes us. So we're here to draw near to Him today, to worship Him with all of our hearts because He wants to change us. He wants to give us a moral compass, a heart, a capacity that's beyond our imagination. He said, listen, I'm not leaving you alone to do your own thing. I'm going to change you. Just draw near to me. So this morning, as we worship him, we're going to draw near to him. And what he requires is that we desire him. So as you begin today, if you're not familiar with this, just begin to desire him. Just begin to say to him, Lord, I don't know what this is. I don't understand. But I want a different life. I want to be changed Father, I pray for everyone watching, everyone in the room, God, that you would take us into a new manifestation of your presence, of your life, that changes who we are. You are our hope. In Jesus' name. Can you hear the promises that God is speaking over you? You know, he's trying to get a people to believe because the resources of God... The resources, God's abilities are infinite. But they, they only come to bear when people believe. Faith releases the hand of God. And God is looking. This is what the Bible says. God's looking over the face of the earth. And he's looking for people whose dependency is entirely on him. Who are looking to them. He's looking for areas in the earth that he can make like what happened in, Is- in Egypt when Israel was there. They were in captivity. And all the, all the plagues, all the destruction was falling on Egypt. But in the land of Goshen, you know, less than 100 miles from where they were, there was nothing. Nothing. When there was pure darkness on all of Egypt, the sun was still shining on Goshen. I mean, that, that is phenomenal. When it was raining down destruction in one part there was nothing in the other part God is saying I want to make a distinction I want to make a distinction between what I'm blessing and what I'm not blessing and I'm looking for a reason to bless you so I just need you to begin to believe just believe Father we break the fear we break we say let the fear that is paralyzing people in this county, that is paralyzing us. Father, we say in Jesus' name, we want to be free. We want to trust you. We want to believe you. 
So we turn, Lord, we turn, we turn, we turn. We turn, we say, Lord, we want to be the recipients of your promise today. That we could see the goodness of God here in the land of the living. Let's, let's continue to worship him with all our heart and lean into what he's provided. Lean into it. Jesus spoke about a pearl of great price. And he gave, he said, listen, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a man found the greatest pearl. And he said, then what did he do? He sold everything to get that one thing. Now, the reality is, even if you're a Christian, even if you're here regularly, you might not be in a position where you've actually given it all. You maybe not have recognized that there's more to be given up. I love the analogies of sports because when we come together and we're seeking God, it's because there's more of Him available. And you may think, well, you know, I've been a Christian a long time. I've had this experience. I've had that experience. I'm a pretty decent Christian. I'm telling you, there's more to be experienced. More, the Bible says, taste and see that God is good. There's more of the goodness of God. And the next threshold of the goodness of God that you can experience will change your life like nothing previously you've had. And so there's this drive in professional athletes that they just know that there's a level of performance. There's a level I can touch. If I really give myself to this, if I eat the right things, if I exercise, if I get up early and I run and I go to the gym, I mean, I'm... I'm pouring my life into touching just a little bit, just a little bit more. If I could cut a half, two seconds off of my time, if I could jump just a couple centimeters higher, they give their lives for centimeters and split seconds because they know that that discipline is going to pay off. I'm going to get something. But there comes a time in an athlete's life where they cease believing that that next threshold is possible. And when they reach that point, when they stop believing, all of a sudden the drive to touch that next level disappears from their life. I've seen that same thing happen in the lives of Christians. Even though we serve a God who's infinite, whose glories, whose beauty remains to be discovered, He's looking. He said, I'm not, not going to give my beautiful things lightly. I want to give it to those who really want it. Those who really are willing to leave everything to have it, they can have it. But we get to the place where, you know what? I've lived a pretty good life. I'm a pretty decent Christian. Yeah, I think I'll just sail into my twilight years now. I don't want you to think you're sailing into your spiritual twilight years because the very best you've experienced from God is still in front of you. That we are going from glory to glory, from beauty to beauty, from deliverance to deliverance, from freedom to greater freedom, just beyond the horizon of your present experience in life lies something unimaginable.
beyond your comprehension, but it is there for you to discover. It is there for you to enter into. God, give us a fresh wave of vision and grace. Father, to seek you more. We want to be a part of the generation of Jacob that seeks your face. Lord, when you say, seek my face, we want our hearts, everything within us to say. These are the things that God has appointed for us. And he's actually glad to share it. He's looking for people with which to share these things. So, Father, I say, God, let, let us be, Lord, a part of that new generation. Everybody said, Amen. This is not the time to just turn on your minds and say, Okay, now, now the mind takes over. The mind does not take over when it comes to truth. Your mind is ill-equipped to receive truth. Your spirit has an ability to acknowledge and know truth. Your spirit does. How do you know you're born again? The Bible says that his spirit witnesses with your spirit. In other words, his spirit confirms that reality so that there's a confidence inside of you, irrespective of anything that goes on outside of you. So, Father, I pray today, Lord, in Jesus' name, that the Spirit of God, we would know the witness of the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. You know, I remember I hear this often where uh, people say, you know, did you give your life to the Lord when you were young? Oh, yeah, like 20 times. You know, I went 20 times to altar calls and responded. Why did you go 20 times? Because one time it finally hit me. It finally hit me that I felt saved. Well, was your life perfect? Did you never do anything bad again? No, no, no. That thing that is described in the Scripture where his spirit witnesses with your spirit that you are a son, that's an assurance. That's when you don't have to ask Jesus in your heart anymore because you just know that you know that you know that you know that you know it's done. But, you know, I, I've been tabulating the information. And I read that verse that says, if you call upon the name of the Lord and I did that, you'll be saved. But even though I know that to be true, even though I'm looking at it, and even though I've done the thing, it still doesn't feel real. Well, you better answer another altar call then. Until it's real. Because you, you cross over. We're not about just ticking boxes here. There is something from heaven that God puts in your heart. It changes how you think about your life, about who you are. It's something, it puts something immovable about who he is in regards to who you are. And that's what we're looking for. Let me say this about revival meetings. And, you know, we, we, just this week they had 16 days of revival meetings out here by Barhead with Len Lindstrom. Len Lindstrom is an evangelist, been all over the world. Amazing healing miracles. Amazing healings in his ministry throughout the years. I mean, stunning stuff. He was out there for, for 16 days. And uh, think, well, you know, I'm too busy to go 16 days. We do a conference. Oftentimes we'll do three days and say, well, I, I'm not sure I can go for three days. I'll go one night. But I tell you, they used to understand something about the progression of Revelation and about 
arriving. There are breakthroughs in your understanding. There are revelations that come and settle upon you with assurance. And when you, when, when you don't know that you're saved, you need that assurance. But be, after that, there are, there are degrees of insights that God wants to show you, things he wants to show you about himself and about his kingdom that, w- that you will never, ever doubt after that whether those things are true. That's the beautiful Beautiful thing about what God wants to put inside you. It's something that's unshakable. That's why he says in Hebrews, God is a consuming God and he's bringing you an unshakable kingdom. And a part of the journey is circumstances come in your life that cause you to shake. Because he's going to shake everything that can be shaken in order to distinguish it from the things that cannot be shaken. And so there is something that God wants to do. God's working on you. God's working on your life. God's working on your heart. He wants to make you unshakable. Let me ask you. Are you unshakable today? Does anything throw you off your game? You ever seen that movie, Back to the Future, right? Marty? I keep thinking McSorley, but that's that's an oiler. Marty, whatever his last name was. Anyway... McFly, yeah, McFly, yeah, Marty, you know, anytime he didn't want to do something, right, people would challenge him to a fight or to a race in the car, and they said, what's the matter, you chicken? And he would like, nobody calls me chicken. And, you know, he, he just snapped a grid. He just did exactly what they wanted to do because that was the thing that triggered him. What is it that triggers you today? Do you have any triggers? Or are you free? Are you totally free? I tell this story sometimes and about a family. Might be my family. Might be another family. But there was a range of ages and maturity levels. And, and uh, of course, the older one always considers themselves distinctly more mature than all the others. And... Uh, and, you know, because they, they are older and they probably have some experience. But, you know, it's funny how sometimes a younger one can trigger an older one in the most amazing, easy way. And yet the older one believes themselves to be infinitely more mature and above the strata. You know, you're just down there. Except that when they say that one phrase and all of a sudden you are triggered and you come immediately into conflict with him. That means emotionally in whatever that area is, you may think you're greater, but you are not because they keep bringing you down to their level. God is saying, listen, I want to make you unshakable. Some of you had maybe a shaking experience this morning on the way to church. Maybe you wanted to be here on time. Maybe you decided it was important to be on time, and one of the members of your family was not entirely cooperative with that. Two-car families have overcome that. But but maybe something happened on the way to church. I remember a friend of mine, her name was Joanne. Well, I won't say her last name, Joanne. She's an amazing worship leader. And she's, she said, one morning I'm, I'm on my way and I'm going to be leading worship. And, and so everybody's late. Nobody's cooperating. And I'm in the car and, and the kids are bickering at each other. And, and then finally she drove, will you be quiet? I'm trying to get a word from the Lord. <laughs> Trigger. 
Freedom is not having any more triggers. Because you're rooted in something so utterly higher than you and even your best performance. Because Christianity is not about your best moral performance. It's about transformation. It's about being changed. It's about being unshakable. And as a human being, as a normal man or woman, you cannot be unshakable. But God wants to make you into something that's unshakable. Faith challenges where all of a sudden, you know, it's no longer crisis. Do you face crisis with panic and fear and a load of new activity to remedy? The, or do you believe? Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? Or God's got a way. Do you remember the last time that God did it this way and we had that crisis and God did that and we had that crisis and God did that? God always has a way. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to wonder. That's being unshakable. Well, I didn't even mean to talk about any of this, so I'm going to go back to my sermon. But God has a plan for your transformation. And he's not, it's not a self-improvement plan. It's not just making you into a better moral figure to represent Jesus. He's talking about transformation, a quantum leap above a, beha- a behavior. That's why he said, I'm going to put a seed inside of you. And that seed is the DNA of the Word of God. Who is the Word of God? The Word of God is a man named Jesus who came to the earth and died for our sins. He is the Son of God. And God said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to ask you to be good because the whole law, the whole journey is to show you, you can't be good. You don't have it within you to be as good as I would require you to be. You can't do that. But I'm going to take something of my own being. I'm going to take something of my own self, of my nature. It's a seed. I'm going to plant it inside of you. And it's going to produce character. It's going to produce power. It's going to produce peace. It's going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Just like that apple tree produces apples, like, wow, what a mystery. How did that happen? came from a seed because there's information in that seed. There's DNA and everything the tree needs, every curvature in that tree, every twig, every turn, every, every fabric, every, every nuance of the, the way it feels soft or rough or whatever it is, that is all defined in that DNA. Everything about that tree comes out of that DNA. God is saying, listen, I don't need for you to be good. I want to put, if you believe, I'm going to put a seed inside of you. And that seed is going to grow up. And it is the very nature of the Son of God. That's my plan for transformation. Father, I pray right now, God, we want a different kind of Christianity. We don't want the kind that's born of effort and strength and self-righteousness and defensiveness and shame and reaction and fear. God, we want to know who you are. We We want to be changed by your presence. So this is what's available to us. And every time we come here, every time we come Sunday morning, I am so eager for your breakthrough. I can't tell you how eager I am for your breakthrough. And you may think sometimes, well, Mark, you're too hard on us. No, I'm not too hard on you. Because there are things that are available to you. I want you to so, I desperately want you to experience have you ever noticed, you know, that you can have a, a season where, you know, it's raining and all kinds of rain and, you know, everything's fine. The grass is growing, but it's, it's, not, it's not getting out of hand. There's weeds, there's things growing. But all of a sudden you get a little bit of sun after that rain. All of a sudden, boom, the grass jumps up two inches. 
It's like, what happened in a day? Like, I, I haven't, it didn't look at all like it needed to be mowed. And all of a sudden, in, in a day, it's jumped up two inches. That's, that's, that's the effect of that water and sunlight coming together. When you come in here on a Sunday morning and you experience the presence of God, that's the rain of his presence. And when you experience the enlightenment of revelation, when his light begins to shine on you, that's the sunshine. Those are the two main components that cause what's planted inside of you to grow. And when we come together, you get to experience both of those things in different measures according to how Holy Spirit is working in your life. But I'm telling you, that's the stuff. But here's the, here's the, we don't all experience that equally. You can be in the same room. One person can be getting rained down by the presence of God. Another person be saying, huh, wonder what they're all about. Looking kind of emotional over there. You know, who are you trying to impress? God has stuff for us. And I urge you to lean into it. You may think, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied. Somebody's telling me this morning, you know, when you first become a Christian, you, you're a pretty moral person. You think, well, you know, I just need to learn a little more. and Just, a, just some subtle tweaking needed in my life. Until you experience the beauty and the purity and the glory of a God who's infinitely beyond your reach. Then all of a sudden you start to realize, oh, I'm so far removed God is going to manifest on the earth men and women who look and act, who carry so much of Jesus, it will stun the nations. And God has been working for 2,000 years to bring the body of Christ, a people to a fullness. And we are closer than we have ever been. How much further do we have to go? I don't know. I don't know. But there has never been a generation this close to the fullness that was prophesied by Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. There's never been a generation so close to apprehending the fullness of the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Never before. We are a privileged bunch. Can you say privileged? Hallelujah. Okay. I'm going to get into my real message. That was uh, was a little taster. That was an appetizer. Okay. So a few weeks ago, I I wrote a book, a book, (laughs) an article called uh, God is Retooling the Church. And so, of course, it was on our our blog and was on Elijah List, reproduced it. And it was a challenge. It was a promise. And I... I'll quickly give you a survey of what it was about. In World War II, in World War II, uh, we had the United States. Of course, we had the other nations. But the United States was reluctant to go to war. I mean, the war to end all wars kind of just finished. And, I mean, uh, the, the fallout on that generation was, was uh, immeasurable. I mean, the, the brokenness, the, the destruction, the lives, the changed destinies because of the war to end all wars was absolutely stunning in its effect on the United States. So the United States did not have an appetite for another war. And Nazi Germany began to, you know, spread its wings and grow. And, of course, they began to invade other countries. 
And the United States was preoccupied looking internally at its own recovery. And they were in the midst of a great recovery. There was things that were happening. There was families being born and children being reared. And they were in the midst of this major economic recovery. And there was discoveries. There was scientific things happening. I mean, they were learning about indoor plumbing and flush toilets and faucets and electricity. And then electricity brought all these conveniences like toasters refrigerators, freezers. I mean, this was a massive shift. And, and of course, then there was all these industries that were devoted to producing these products that this, this, you know, these new, they were selling like hotcakes. People were getting new houses, new homes, all these fancy gadgets. And then somebody starts talking about going to war. No appetite for war. We're, we're, we're living the good life here. But they get pushed into this conflict. They get pushed into this conflict. You know the story. And Dwight Eisenhower says, after D-Day, after Normandy, and you know all the buildup that happened. Now that many of you have seen movies, read stories. You know the, what happened. But, but Dwight Eisenhower said, when I looked at the wreckage on the beach from the Germans, the, their armies, their things, when I saw that and I saw the massive infrastructure that came from the industrial might of the heartland of the United States. He said, I was never so proud in my life as, as knowing that that came from that effort. And what happened was this, is that factories spread out all over the United States that were committed to making grommets and, and little parts for, for cars and you know, motors for, for refrigerators and you know, whatever, all the parts, the hundreds of thousands of different parts. Like There was manufacturing centers scattered all across the United States. When the moment for war came, came that critical moment that they pressed in, everything in a matter of months became retooled for the military conquest against Nazi Germany. And the prophetic word the Lord gave me is this, is that God is restoring. God is returning the church and retooling the church back to its original intent. God is changing the church's uh, orientation away from self-gratification, away from success-oriented living, away from self-centered existence and becoming the arm for the military spiritual conquest of the nations of the earth because the church has been made to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And God has always historically had a problem with Christians or believers or Jews or whoever because we tend to want to make it about us. Anybody ever have that problem? Is it just me? You know, when Israel were, they were in Egypt and they were in slavery and God brought them out and humbled the greatest civilization on the face of the earth. And then they, he said, they're saying, this is great. We serve the greatest God ever. This is amazing. And then they come to the promise. I says, here's the land I'm giving you. And they look in like, whoa, whoa, you're giving it to us. How, how, what about these giants? What about these walled cities? He says, yeah, yeah, just, just remove them. I'm with you. And they balked because they had no appetite for war. They had no appetite for conflict because they were thinking, well, we just escaped slavery. If we lose a battle, we become slaves to those people. I mean, you know, do we want to risk what we've gained? 
you know, I'm sure God is in this, but, you know, I'm not sure. And so they didn't want to risk what they had for what God said they would gain. And every generation of the church has faced that exact struggle. We don't want to risk what we have for what we might gain. And that orientation has caused the church to stagnate. It's caused courageous men to refuse to speak when they should be speaking, refuse to stand, refuse to wave the banner of righteousness, refuse to say no to evil men. But God is looking for a church. God is looking for a people that are overcomers, that are the kind of Christian that I started talking to you about a few minutes ago. There is a capacity that you and I have not realized that is beyond anything the earth has seen. I don't care if you've read about revivalists. I don't care if you've read about revivals and significant figures. Those guys, what they carried was a pittance compared to what the final generation of the church will carry and be known for. They are there. To, to create a standard of possibilities. As these men stood head and shoulders over their generations as revivalists, apostles, changers, life, life changers, nation changers, people changers, culture changers. That's what we can be. So this is, this is what I want to talk about this morning because I think, well, if that's the possibility, how do we do that? Ask yourself that right now. Well, how, does that, how do I do that? How do I become somebody who can change my world? And I'm trying to share my faith with people at, at work, and, like, I get mocked. I can't even make any headway. They, you know, they just, you know, it's better I just say nothing because just get into trouble. Think of the situations you're in. Are you changing the world around you, or is the world around you seem to be impervious to your light? If the world is impervious to your light, I say get more light. So, Father, today, Lord, I pray, ah, you give us a glimpse of that, uh, that blueprint that, of world conquest that you have. God has a blueprint for the conquering of evil, the annihilation of darkness. And he's not doing it by him coming down, he sent you instead of him. And he says to Jesus, he said, sit at my right hand until I realize this conquest. Sit at my right hand until all things are restored. Then you'll return. Jesus knew the mind of God, so he wasn't surprised. But the people were like, well, who are you going to send then? Us, you. You are God's answer to the world around you. And if you find yourself to be insufficiently equipped, then I would encourage you, get more equipment. Because the litmus test that you have, everything necessary, is that darkness falls like dominoes before your life. That's the standard Jesus set. The world fell like dominoes in front of him. So, let's look at this. In, um, in Habakkuk 2.14... It's in the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2.14 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now God said something very much like this at another time. 
And you might remember when it was. It was when Israel refused to enter into the promised land. When they refused to go in and conquest and take over what God said he had given them, he, you know, God was angry and he said to Moses, listen, move aside, I'll destroy them and I'll raise you up a better, a better people that are going to do what I say. They're going to believe me and trust me and realize it's not about them. And Moses said, no, no, don't. And he interceded for them. So at the end of the day, God said, okay, I've pardoned their iniquity. And then he said, I've pardoned their iniquity, but verily, verily, as I live, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Why did he say that right there? He said, listen, I don't want anybody stopping short. I don't want anybody making excuses that, well, you know, it's really dark out there. The enemy's really strong. They got more money than us. They're more organized. You've got weaponry you don't know you have. You have access to things you never knew were possible. There are weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds that God has about is about to unveil to the earth. Everything necessary for godliness is already provided. We have everything necessary to nullify the works of darkness, to squelch the power of witchcraft, to put manipulators, sorcerers in their place. We have that. So God says no excuses. No excuses. These guys, these guys don't believe me, but the, I'm going to have a generation that will believe. And when I have a generation that believe, everything I've made available will land in them. It will, it will be there for them. So he says, I'm not, I'm not happy that one nation is delivered from slavery. Where I'm sending you into this other parcel land. Listen, this is the first parcel land I want to conquer. I'm going to conquer the whole earth. And they're balking at the first parcel of land? Hello? McFly? Do you know what this is about? I... I'm intent on conquering the whole earth. I, I have glory. If, if you realize what I have, the commodity of my presence that I could release on you. Oh, my goodness. See, this is, this is where we come to is, well, how much more of that presence is there? You know, I've had the experience where God has touched me and I felt, you know, subtle butterflies inside of me, and that's great. Or I felt the presence of God when I got born again. Or maybe I got healing and there was a, there was a warmness in my knee and then my, the pain went away. You know, is it more than that? Oh, yeah. It's more than that. Well, how much more? A lot more. Well, how, like measure it in numer- numerically. It can't be measured numerically. But we have this witness in Scripture that as God brought a people out of slavery in Egypt, he put something in them and with them, and it was his presence, such that Moses said, Lord, don't send us up from here without your presence. This is the one thing that distinguishes us from every other group on the face of the earth. He said, well, listen, I'll send my angel. He said, no, don't send us up with an angel. We don't want angels. We want you. We want your glory. We want your presence. We need you in our midst. That heart that Moses had, because Moses saw something. He understood something about the plan of God. 
And today, right now, in this room and around the earth, there are people who are realizing that God has a plan. And, not, and you have a desire. And there's a fire in you. I'm not going to stop short. Why is it that the church keeps stopping short? Why is it they're content to have 1% of the population of a city? Why, you know, just because you got 500 or 1,000 or 10,000 people in your church, but 99% of the city is not saved, but you're happy with that? He said, listen, I have measurements I want to give you. When I say all, I mean all. The whole earth, the whole earth, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what did Israel have? What was it that they had that was that token of him in their midst? He said, listen, the earth will be filled, but what do you have right now? It's just find... In uh, Exodus 13, 20 to 22, and this is what it says. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped at Etham. I don't know if the pronunciation of this is right, but Etham sounds right. At the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar, huh, a cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He said, listen, I am in your midst. I am in your midst. God took a slave civilization. How many years were they in slavery? Over 400. Do you know what slavery does? How it eviscerates a, a people of, of their creativity, of their ability to think, how it turns them into drones, you know, monotonous zombie-like creatures who lose their ability. I mean, we've seen the effects of slavery in, in our recent history, and the return path is not easy. Not easy. Yet God took these ones that were in the wilderness, I mean, in, in, uh, in, in uh, slavery for 400 years, and he made them the cornerstone of the most successful civilization on the face of the earth, which is the Western Hemisphere, economically, militarily, in terms of prosperity and blessing, in terms of emotional health. I mean, the, the world has never seen, never seen anything this good as we've had. And where did that come out of? That came out of slaves that were being hovered over with a presence. The presence of God hovered over the people. And it was, it was so, the, the attraction to that beauty was so infectious, Caleb, Caleb, the, the one who would follow in Moses' footsteps, he wouldn't leave even the, the, the tent. He camped out there. When Moses went back to his tent for his sleep, Caleb stayed there because there was something about the presence of God that was so invigorating, so life-changing, so powerful, so above anything he'd experienced. But what, he, what they didn't know, something was being changed on a cellular level, on a kinetic level, 
They were beginning to see things. They were beginning to understand things. Craftsmen started to emerge. And they began to see that there's a direct connection between creative thought and that presence. Such that God gave, and he says specifically, okay, I need you to build this. And Moses is like, we don't know how to build this. Well, he says, I've given these people here the ability to understand textiles. And I've given these people the ability to understand this. And he, he threw out these skills to people who had been enslaved and were empty vessels. He said, watch this. This is who I am. Out of nothing, watch what I can create. And it began with a presence. It began with an atmosphere. Now, here's what I want to tell you, that God is offering you that same atmosphere. That God is offering us that same presence. That they had it because it was a physical manifestation. They built the ark and God's glory was on the tent. And you couldn't go in the tent without fear of dying because if, the, if you went in without the proper protocols, you died. The glory of God was like, a, you know, it's like atomic energy. You just, some places you go in that, uh, you know, we don't have any of those around here. But you go to a nu- nuclear facility, there's some places you just don't go because you die. The tent of meeting was like that. You don't go into the inner sanctum because the power is off the charts. You die. But the residual glow of that power is changing us. Because the nature of that power is it consumes everything inconsistent with it. And it transforms. This is why we're going from glory to glory. Glory to glory, because that power, that light, that beauty, that is consummate goodness, unapproachable light, is there for us to access by the blood of Jesus. But you see, there are other things in your life, other things in your soul, other things in your mind. There are addictions, there are bondages, there are propensities towards sin and cursing and murder. These things are a part of your being. But he said, listen, I'm giving you a pass. I'm giving you the ability to enter into the glory of God. And with each incremental step you take, something is burned off of you by that light. Something is confronted. Something is diminished. And something else is increased. And you don't know how because it's just by the glory, the resident beauty that is in my presence. Oh, you're saying, well, if that's what's available, I want more of that. That's the plan. More of that. More of that. More of that. But you remember what I was saying about those athletes earlier who, you know, who press into the more? They have to believe there's more. But here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the problem. We're limited. We're limited in our imagination. We're limited in our ability to believe. And though Paul says in Ephesians said, God, listen, God is able to do above what you can ask or think according to a power that is already working inside of you. He's able to do above what you can ask or think. Okay, so I I want more than I can ask or think about. Well, how do you want something so enigmatic, obtuse, as what you can't even think about? 
the impossibleness of this, the impossibility is there's something promised to us beyond what we can, we can think or imagine. There's nothing in our mind or equipment or our willpower that could access it. Only faith brings us across the threshold and into that impossible stuff. So he says, not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit. That's why Jesus said, you know, man should, being born again, not by flesh or not by the will of man, but by the spirit of God. Getting from here to there, even an increment greater than what you have now, is in itself a miracle, impossible to the natural man. And yet God is saying, there is a successive uh, lineup of steps into glory that will bring change to you that generations past long to see, long to envision. They, they're now in heaven. They see, oh, look what we could have had. So they're looking down. They're called the, the cloud of great witnesses. They're looking down there and saying, come on, guys. Come on, come on, come on, come on. It's there. It's right in front of you. It's right there. It's right in front of you. Whatever you think is holding you back, man, that can, that'll melt. That'll melt. That's believe. If only you could believe. It's there. This is, this is the promise. This is the destiny that we've been made for. And for 2,000 years, God has been getting a group of people to go from one level of that to another level of that to another level of that. And we are close to the end. We are close to the end. But we dare not say, you know, what was wrong with those guys a hundred years ago? Because everything you have now came from them. But the question is, what has the world not seen that you are willing to step into? Each generation is appointed with the task of stepping into something prepared for by God for this time. And God is eagerly looking. I look around the room, I see faces, and I'm, I'm seeing opportunity because God is saying, listen, you could have this. This is for you. It might be miracles. It might be righteousness. It might be prosperity. It might be blessing. It might be a financial uh, ability to run businesses, to equip the church throughout the world. It might be passion. It might be mercy gifts. It might be the ability to love lepers. I don't know what it is, but there is something beyond your human abilities that you could step into today. It's there for you. Unimaginable. So they had this, they had this thing. This evidence of this presence that was with them, and we have it too. But here's the problem. Is that unless you experience the Spirit of God, it's just language. When it comes to the mystical aspect of the kingdom of God, Jesus always said when he was defining those things, he said the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like. You know why he said it's like? Because there was nothing that you could point to to say this is it. He didn't, and not only that, he didn't want to reduce it to a series of of characteristics. Well, how do you know if you're being led by the spirit of God? 
I could give you a few characteristics of what accompanies being led by the Spirit of God, but none of those characteristics will help you. None of them will assure you of entering that lifestyle. Well, what good is that knowledge then? Yeah, not much. But God has given you access. So, I'm pivoting now. This is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the shift. I, I, I know you think, oh, you always talk about this. Yes. Like the evangelist always talks about salvation and the assurance of adoption. Why? Because he wants people to cross that line. There's a line I want you to cross into that's fundamental to who you are as sons of God and daughters of the king. Manifesting the kingdom of God in your world requires you knowing and having an experience of accessing the Spirit of God. So I just saw this um, friend of mine, a fellow and acquaintance, I, I just saw this, this video on Facebook and, and I thought, hey, that's the stuff I teach about all the time. But it, but it says this, the, the caption said this, he says, praying in tongues until you experience the shift. And uh, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's it, man, right there. That's, that's, a, that's a, a grade one level experience, experiencing the shift. See, uh, I'll turn to it here really quickly, but in Revelations, Revelations, you know what the book of Revelations is about, right? This the Apostle John, right? He has that experience. We were singing the song today. Remember the song, the words of the song where... We were singing, come up here, come up now. Come up here, come up now. Right? When we're singing that, that's actually the words, uh, paraphrased, from an angel that visited John and said, come up here. Now, the experience that John was happening, he was doing what he normally did, and I'll see if I can find the scripture. I didn't have this ready, but but he said, uh, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Verse 10, Revelation chapter 1. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And he lists the churches there. But here's, here's the functional part of what I want to say. John understood what it meant to be in the Spirit. He said, I was in the Spirit. Now, if you actually aren't familiar with, it, with what it means to be in the Spirit, you may think that means to be pensive, meditative, aware of God, connecting emotionally, soaking, basking, worshiping with words that are spiritual, that are uplifting to God, generally oriented in the direction that is Him. It's far more than that. It's actually a thing. It's actually a thing. Now, I love, I love this illustration. I use this in my school of the Spirit. But when the, uh, when the spaceships or, you know, the Apollos or whatever it is, that's what they call them today. Um, but when they go up, there's so many of them now. But when they go up, there's an experience that they have when they escape the, the atmosphere of the earth. 
you know, you have that three-tiered rocket system, and the first one's the Apollos, you know, the first rocket go, you know, booster number one or whatever, and they, they go up and they drop off. But, but they're, they're using extreme force at the beginning to escape, to escape the atmosphere of the earth because they're trying to leave earth's atmosphere and to go into another atmosphere. How do, how do they know when it gets there? Well, you could say, well, you know, it gets suddenly darker, and suddenly it gets smoother, and and it's like peaceful because all of a sudden the power of the Earth's gravitational pull is not on them, and so you don't need that because the first stage is like, right? It's like hold on, and it's a lot of a lot of turbulence, a lot of activity, you know, and a lot of energy needed to leave this 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 atmosphere to get into this one. So I tell people all the time, I said, listen, the reason why I want you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues is not so you can say, I prayed in tongues. It's because praying in tongues is one of the single greatest empowering things that you have to get the experience of leaving the natural atmosphere and transitioning into a spiritual atmosphere. And when my friend was writing or sharing about this, he said, pray in tongues until you experience the shift. And if you're thinking, what shift? That tells me everything I need to know. There is a dramatic shift that John understood that was enabled him to say with confidence, I was in the Spirit on this day. I was there. How did he know he was there? Because he had been there many times. What's it like? Well, I could give you a list of characteristics, boxes you could check, things you... But see, the, the experience of it trumps all of those boxes. I am here as a trainer, as an apostolic leader in the body of Christ, to encourage people to cross a threshold. The evangelist says, listen, you need to cross this threshold into a moment where you don't have to keep giving your life to Jesus, where the assurance, where the witness of that you are seated in heavenly places with him, that you are in his family, that you will go to heaven, the assurance of that you are a son. I want to get you over that, that thing. And somebody who's given their life to the Lord 12 times and still not sure. What does the assurance feel like? How do I know if I'm there or not? If you're asking that question, you don't know. I'm telling you, it's that real. You know what I've had to deal with in the body of Christ? I've had to deal with people who don't, haven't had experiences and are intimidated by the thought that somebody else might have more than them. And so I heard this all the years. I was in Bible college and everything. You know, there's only one Holy Spirit. There's no junior Holy Spirit. That means your experience is identical to mine. No, it doesn't. The experience Jesus had in his own life before he got the disciples was not equal to what the disciples experienced. And the experience that John had was not the same as Peter. And the experience that Nicodemus had was not the same as, as Matthew. That everybody was entering into things according to their ability to believe and ascend. 
And today there's, a, there's an opportunity to enter into something because there's an atmosphere that God wants to pour out in a church. Church is not a place where we do Christian things. Church is not a place where we lift up our hands. Oh, that's where they dance. That's where they pray in tongues. That's where they give money. That's where they do these churchy things. Church is not where we do churchy things. Church is the place where the atmosphere of heaven touches the earth. Because people who have been in the Spirit go there together and create an atmosphere. And a presence comes in that starts to erode the darkness of your heart. It starts to erode the way that you think badly. It starts to confront systems that keep you chained to this earth so that you can move into higher realms and experience this beauty. So that you can be the unshakable witness that God means for you to be. I mean, think about this. I'm preaching today. I'm sharing. And I, the measure of what I've been told to do, according to Peter, first, first Peter, I think it is, he says this. He said, let one who speaks, speak as the oracle of God. As the oracle of God. Do you know what that is, the oracle of God? You have to speak as God would speak if he were standing there. I can't do that by myself. But I'm telling you, there are, there, are, there are experiences of moving into the Spirit where thoughts, revelations begin to hit your mind that are so transcendent, so above, so sure, so secure, so, so firm, so unshakable, so real, so clear that you cannot mistake them for an opinion. And God is saying, listen, I got loads of these. You can come in. There's more of this than you can possibly realize. I'm not here to create an optimistic capacity in you. I'm here to give you revelation of things the earth has never seen. I'm here because you are sons, and I want to instruct you in everything that's around me and how my kingdom works so that you can be the trigger for those things coming to earth. That's why I said pray this way. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I didn't tell you to preach and say, you know, one day you're going to get to go to heaven and these are the characteristics of the things you're going to experience. They're going to be streets of gold and you're going to have peace like never before. I'm telling you, that's not enough and that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is a manifestation through the oracle of God, of an atmosphere that is in heaven, that surrounds the throne of God. And God is saying, I want to bring that to the earth. I want you to be the people that are carrying that, that every place, your footsteps... That presence follows you. And if that's not happening, then there's more. There's more. And so God is desperately looking for a people who are not content with their level of influence, with their level of authority, with their level of experience, who believe that the God of the infinite has promised more and is ready to deliver to those who believe. That's what this is about. And every time I come here on Wednesday or Sunday and I'm exhorting us to press in, it's not because I need something. It's because there's something prepared for the children of God that is so amazing. So amazing. Father, I pray today. Come on, worship team. 
Let's come up here. We're going to worship. I'm praying for a new kind of diligence. I'm praying for a new kind of faith that says, okay, I want to leave. I want to leave the atmosphere of the earth. I want to leave the atmosphere of fear. I want to leave the atmosphere of worry. I want to leave the atmosphere of competition and pride and shame and guilt. I want to leave the atmosphere of temporary thinking. God, I want to participate in the way that you think. The possibilities are endless. And I pray that today will be a new beginning for us. That when we come here, we're not expecting a warm, fuzzy feeling. We're not expecting a, a nice hug and a little affirmation and a, and a oh, this is, isn't that sweet? But life-changing, life-changing, transforming encounters with the glory of God. That's what this is about. Now, if you're here today and you don't know any of the experience of God's presence... And if you believe today that God sent His Son and died for you, then you can receive today forgiveness for your sins. You can receive today that seed of promise that put, is put inside. You can be born again by simply saying, God, I want more of you. Jesus, I want you in my life. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. There's something about this truth I've never seen before. If you're online and you're watching, you can pray right now. Oh God, I want to know your glory. I want to be changed. I want to be, I want to be part of the resurrection. I want to go to heaven. I want to know you right now, today. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. You can do that right now. Just ask him. Oh. There was a moment when the king of Israel was visited by the prophet. And they've been having wars and they've been experiencing setbacks. And he said, listen, God wants to give you a victory. And this, these are the arrows. He said, shoot an arrow out the door, out the window. And they shot an arrow. And he said, now these arrows are the arrows of God's deliverance. I want you to strike the ground. The king's like, ah. Uh, Never been a part of this kind of ceremony before. Not sure how this works. Okay. So he timidly taps the floor three times and quits. And the prophet's mad. He said, because he suddenly realized, oh, you didn't understand what this is about. This is not a ceremony. This is not a new Jewish ritual. This was an interaction with the release of the armies of heaven so that on earth what is in heaven can be materialized. But the king, not really understanding the moment he was in, didn't have the sense of the importance, the sense of urgency. He could not pour his heart into this moment, and so he, he literally missed it. And we know what the thing was. What if, what if the systems of darkness, and I want you to know, all around this city and all around this region... There are demonic strategies. There are people who give themselves through sorcery and witchcraft. And there are people who inadvertently are doing it and don't know it. But there are people who are purposely putting in things, physical structures, ceremonies that release the gates of hell on earth. And I'm telling you, it's going to take more. It's going to take more than a nice little church expression.
It's going to take more than a little bit of Sunday as usual for us to see a wave of power released that demolishes the works of darkness, that creates such fundamental setbacks in the kingdom of darkness that God's Spirit begins to be poured out here. People are waiting for God's Spirit to be poured out, but it's only going to be happen when the church advances in faith. So God is looking. He's saying, is there a church that I can trust with authority to clear the land so that you can defeat the enemies not one, not two, not three times, but utterly set them back such that the demonic powers in this region could not recover for your entire lifetime, for a whole generation. It takes a release of faith. It takes a release from a people that believe this is what we are being prepared for. Harvest is the outcome. Harvest is the outcome. But we have to believe that this stuff's real. That there's something actually happening. And it's not a ceremony. It's not a liturgy. That there's real power. The kingdom of God is in righteousness and power. Lord, extend your peace. Come on, we serve a consuming fire. We serve a God who is a consuming fire. And the manifestation of that fire is being driven by the faith of a people who worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, you will have your glory in Parkland County. Oh. Now we're at a critical spot. And I feel like we need to dial it down because eventually you lose the the traction to to sustain the advance. And that's fine because there's another day and another day and another day. The reality is the presence of God that was over Israel that was absolutely powerful. Is predicated upon very mundane kinds of service. You know, the putting bread and lighting the lamps and, you know, maintenance kind of things. But there was a day that came when they continued to do the maintenance thing, but the glory wasn't there. That's the shift we're trying to make in the church, where there's meant to be a glory, but then the things that we do week to week, day to day, But God is creating in us a people that believe that there's more than just gathering together in a building and having Sunday school and a nice sermon and a a snack and a coffee and going home to our homes. In the invisible realm, the world is being changed by a people that believe. And God is increasing our capacity to participate in that. So, Father, thank you, Lord, that in this generation, advance of the kingdom of God is coming because a people will arise to be faithful to the knowledge and the revelation that you are giving them 
for this day. Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to honor you with everything the previous generations have afforded us and everything you're pouring out now. Lord, may we, may we do what you've called us to do. And everybody said...